Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. So, the Derek Chauvin verdict has been read out and announced, and the former police officer has been found guilty on three counts, uh, including both murder and manslaughter, which, in my estimation, were mutually exclusive, but that's for the Minnesota justice system to, to work out. I'm keeping my feelings about the situation contained just because with these big trials, um, appeals are usually lodged or at least intentions to appeal are usually lodged. And from my very limited time on jury duty, we were informed that it is possible for things said after the trial to then cause the original conviction to be overturned and to either go back to go for retrial or to quash the original conviction altogether. So what I would hate is for all the people to get excited in the start, you know, speaking about their feelings, start speaking what's on their mind. And then for the defense to lodge an appeal based on something that shouldn't have been said, which then either jeopardizes the conviction or sends it all back for retrial. So I would urge anyone listening to this to, if they're going to post on social media, if they're going to... uh, let their feelings be known to do it with a with a large amount of restraint just because we don't know all the facts as you know I should say the trial has been televised so we do we have been privy to to some of the facts but there may be something that we don't know about that then gets released or you know, something happens that then It jeopardizes the conviction and all these feelings of excitement that we had that justice has been done gets taken away because of something that, you know, shouldn't have been said or done. So yeah, so just be very circumspect in how you, uh, in how you, uh, make your feelings known about the, about the verdict. Um, the other thing is, is that now I don't know exactly what, uh, Representative Maxine Waters has said. Um, all I've really seen is the headlines and maybe the sub, the sublines, but it could well be that the defense uses what she said or what she's reported to have said, um, as a reason to say that the, that there was a mistrial. And that the conviction shouldn't stand or that it should go back to retrial or go back for retrial or that, yeah, that the, the original conviction was tainted. 
Um, which then leads me on to my next point is that in, in the course of justice, we have to do as much as we can to ensure that fair and balanced trials are held. Every step away from a procedurally fair and rigid trial is one step closer to a kangaroo court or a mob trial or a trial by media or something like that. Part of justice is that there are rules and there are procedures and there are standards. And while the current system may not be perfect, I think it's a lot better than uh, what we had hundreds of years ago where, you know, for example, in the Salem witch trials, you know, there was anyone accused of being, uh, being a witch was, you know, in short, summarily executed. So, look, if we want to go back to those days, I mean, sure, but um, the whole thing about presumption of innocence is – is you know one of the biggest features of our of our trial. So the presumption of innocence and on the prosecution to prove its case is uh, yeah we can't we can't necessarily presume someone is guilty because of the feelings of the case. We have to um, um, yeah let let trial and let justice let the best implementation of justice. Uh, aside from our personal opinions, run their course. And yeah, um, probably the biggest example of this was O.J. Simpson, um, the trial of the, the trial of the century, as they called it. And yeah, um, O.J. Simpson went through went through trial. the The best prosecution case was presented. The best defense was presented. And O.J. Simpson was found not guilty to uh, beyond reasonable doubt. So, so he was found not guilty beyond reasonable doubt in the criminal trial. However, he was held civilly liable. But the difference between the criminal and civil cases is that the the civil case has a lower burden of lower burden of proof and a lower standard of evidence. So just just bear that in mind. Um, the next thing I wanted to chat about was policing. Now I'm going to say this with with as little reference to race as as possible. A good policing system should treat everyone fair, irrespective of race. It shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't treat white people fairer than it does African people. It shouldn't treat African people fairer than it does white people. A perpetrator is a perpetrator is a perpetrator. So it's not so much, to me, it's not so much race, but it's more about police training, having that well-established, well-trained police force. And in the Australian experience, the police force is run by the state. 
like every every state has their own police force, and they act with uh, in cooperation with each other. So you don't have like county police, you don't have like you know town police. You have police that are that go through that all go through a you know a lengthy training course. Who then get assigned to certain precincts, to certain towns, to certain you know, and then they rotate through and all all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's no like you know you you don't go to one town and there's one police that do things by one standard. Then you, then you go to a different town or county or whatever who do things by a different standard. Um, it is all you know one state police force who. Yeah, so the, the sheriff, like in in Australia, the sheriff is actually a a function of the courts rather than a function of the police force. Uh, we do have federal police as well, who handle uh, different types of crime, and they work in con- in conjunction with state police, depending on what the uh, what the alleged offence is. Um. So yeah, so that uniformity of training, that uniformity of responsibility. Um, is something that I believe would work, um, you know, quite well in, in the American, American situation. Then the other thing is that the, the other reason that we, um, so, so the next point I, w- I then wanted, I then wanted to discuss was the, the value of bringing in perpetrators alive. Now, we don't. So, whenever there's a uh, a high profile crime or or, or, or a shocking crime, um, nowadays it's f- quite rare that the perpetrator is killed on the scene. It does sometimes happen. But it's not a, it's definitely not a common occurrence. There's definitely a, a rare, uh, a rare, a rare thing. And there was one, uh, one particular, well, there, there's two cases that just come to mind. Oh, so, sorry, three, three cases that come to mind where, um, so there's one person who was in a police siege. Who was uh, he was holed up in a house for about fourteen hours, something like that, and he was flushed. Um, yeah, he was he was shot up with rubber bullets. No, sorry, or, or, or sorry, beanbag rounds. And the the story from that was that he actually asked the police if he could keep the beanbag round that uh, that shot him, and cause him to yeah, fall down and be be captured. Uh, that. That request was denied. Um, there was another guy who drove a car down a shopping mall. Um, I think he killed eight people and injured twenty. Um, he was he was brought in alive. Um, the only other one was there was a stabbing. There was a, a a person who may or may not have been uh, colluding. Uh, sorry, who may or may not have. Been inspired by Islamic terrorist propaganda, who went on a stabbing spree in 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 the city, um, and he unfortunately was shot, uh, shot by police. But that was after he had actually stabbed people. 
Um, it wasn't like he wasn't pulled over for a, for a speeding ticket or for, for speeding or not, cha- not indicating when he changed lanes or for a broken headlight. You know, he was, you know, he, I think he actually killed two people. Um, and then before he get, he get to more or before he could stab any more. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was confronted by police and he tried to lunge at them and he got shot. So yeah, so that's, um, which then leads to uh, the the dark days of the uh, of the eighties and maybe maybe the nineties as well. Where um, you see, so during the seventies and eighties and and nineties, um, police shootings of suspects was relatively frequent. Um, and then what what then happened was, and especially in the armed robbery squad. Um, the shootings of suspects was that frequent, which then led to the deaths of suspects being quite frequent. That basically the, the, uh, the gangsters took things into their own hands. So I would urge you to look up the Wall Street police killings. Now, I'm not going to give the, the, the blow, the blow by blow details, but basically, the there was a spate of armed robberies that was that were happening in in my in my in my city. Um, they were organised, um, and the armed robbery squad was more of the persuasion of shoot first, and if you know the guy survives, then then ask questions. There was a high profile uh, suspect. Um, who was obviously attempting to evade capture. Um, he was, uh, he was shot in a botched, uh, uh, what's the, what's the term? Uh, a botched, uh, arrest, uh, procedure. There is talk that he wasn't armed and that there was a gun planted on the on the person uh afterwards but that's that is speculation but what then happened was after this uh suspect was shot that the the organized crime world uh instituted a two for one policy which basically meant that for every one uh armed robbery suspect shot and killed by police that two policemen would then be shot and killed in return. And so after this particular high profile, uh, was a high profile, but after this particular armed robbery suspect was shot and killed, uh, I think it was like the very next morning, um, someone had, uh, conspired to set a car alight. Uh, two young constables came out to inspect the car. And when they got out of their car to inspect the burning car, um, Organised crime figures came out and shot the two policemen uh, dead on the spot. What that eventually led to was a royal commission that looked into why those two policemen were were shot. Um, yeah, this the whole whole thing went to trial. There was um, yes, a big trial there. Then they looked into why you know uh, those two policemen were shot. They looked into, you know, the spate of uh, police shootings. And, yeah, to fix that, 
took a lot of, uh, it took a lot of police training. It took a lot of cultural, uh, cultural change within the police force. But I'm actually glad now that, you know, we've learned those lessons. And so that if, if you have an encounter with the police, with the police, it is more likely that you will be arrested and tried than, well, actually, well, you'll be arrested and tried. You are more likely to be assaulted in prison for doing the heinous crime than you are likely to be shot and killed by the police while being arrested for the heinous crime. And that's why then we have, you know, your maximum security, your, your isolation cells and all that, because we then also learnt that, you know, having people die in prison before they have their chance at trial or before they can serve their sentence, you know, is, you know, isn't a good thing, you know, like as, as horrible as these people are, you know, um, letting them be assaulted or raped or tortured in prison is, is a very horrible thing. So, yeah. So in saying all that, I'm, I'm initially pleased that, uh, Derek Chauvin was found guilty just because I see that footage and I think that it does look to me that, uh, Chauvin was very negligent in how he, uh, in how he was trying to subdue George Floyd. Um, and what sealed it for me was when the police chief came out and basically said that Derek Chauvin went against all policies and procedures. Um, yeah. So to me, did Derek Chauvin attempt to kill George Floyd? That I, I'm not too, that I'm not too sure. Um, I think it was more negligent. But that's for the jury who had all the facts in front of them to the side. I'm just going off of the, off of the footage and some of the testimony. But yeah, I see that footage and I think, wow, that is, that is no way to handle a suspect who is already handcuffed, who has a, a crowd of witnesses around. So it's not like he's going to do anything stupid. Um, there, there are enough cameras in there. There are enough cameras around to yeah, ensure that nothing stupid would happen. But anyway, I'm going to finish here. And yeah, look after yourselves. Be kind to one another. And also just be circumspect in how you share your opinions about the George Floyd trial. Let's wait for the appeals, wait for justice to run its course. And yeah, if we did respect and be kind to one another, maybe we wouldn't need police forces and, and a justice system. Something to think about. Goodbye. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe and rate it on whatever platform you find it on and share it on your social media. Continue the discussion on the discussion post, as well as check out more thought-provoking content over at www.tallfriendlyatheistdad.com. If you wish to be a guest, would like me as a guest on your podcast or platform, or even to be a sponsor, 
head over to the Twitter account for this podcast, at TFADpod. But the best way to support this podcast is to head over to the iTunes bookstore or Google Play and purchase your copy of The Best Religion for the Task at Hand, a response to creationism and why humanism is morally superior to the Bible. You'll be engaged by it. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.